Hello, this is Bear Christianity, chapter 5, In Your Right Mind. After three consecutive miscarriages, our friend was desperate for a second child, but it just wasn't happening, and God wasn't saying anything. But then one day, God spoke to our friend in Tesco's, in the butter aisle, asking, Would you like a baby for your birthday? Yes, please, she replied. And nine months later, on her birthday, our friend had a baby girl, and all is still well. And what I like about this story is not just the amazing arrival of the baby, it's that God spoke in Tesco's. Our friend didn't have to go somewhere sacred to listen to God, not a church or a shrine or a mountain top or the wilderness or a room with Steve the prophet, just the butter aisle in Tesco's. I'm not suggesting that God isn't in these other places too, but his appearance in the butter aisle, along with his meeting Rupert in the gutter in the last chapter, this suggests that God can reach anyone, anywhere. After hearing this story, the next time I was in Tesco's, I actually went to the butter aisle to see if I could feel the aura of God or to hear him speak. But I found it just like any other butter aisle, slightly chilly with lots of yellow and white tubs with sprinklings of gold and silver on the more expensive ranges. I sensed his presence slightly more in the chocolate aisle. Of course I would. Now I think that for somebody who prays regularly, it should actually be normal to talk to God in Tesco's, to meet him there, to hear him there. Of course, the place that our friend had to go to hear God wasn't the butter aisle, or any physical place for that matter. It was actually a place of openness of heart, which for somebody who is desperate and struggling to have a baby, is probably harder to get to than an oxygen-starved, snow-covered mountaintop shrine anyway. I often go running, and one time, while I was out minding my own running business, a group of young people pulled up alongside me in their car and shouted out the window, GET A LIFE! On any normal day, get a life from strangers leaning out of a car window at a set of traffic lights on Blackheath is like water off a duck's back to me. But when I go for a run, I meditate with intent. I go to clear my head. It's probably the only time I actually shut up and listen. And the fact that in-ear headphones won't stay in helps too. So if God is going to get through to me, then a good time is while I'm out running. I'm ready. I'm listening and I'm vulnerable. So what might normally be innocuous banter from some strangers shouting out of their car window, now all of a sudden would have the potential to knock me off balance. Did I have a life? For a moment, just for a moment, I didn't actually know. I actually had to think about it. It was a, a warm Friday evening when anybody with a life would be enjoying the company of friends, sipping drinks, eating together and celebrating the weekend and shouting at strangers out of car windows. But after a brief mental summary of all my major life choices, I concluded that I have never regretted going for a run, even on a warm Friday evening as I pass people sitting outside the pub enjoying a cold beer overlooking the Thames, which they're not doing at the moment, of course, because everything's closed and everyone's out running because we're on lockdown. Now, I don't always look forward to going for a run, I often procrastinate and put it off, and I usually ache during and afterwards. It is a battle. But I've never regretted going, not once. I don't always like how it feels at the time, but I love the overall result. 
and I have a similar relationship with prayer. I have never regretted praying. I have never regretted spending time speaking and listening to God. I often procrastinate and put it off. It's a battle and I don't always like the way it feels because it usually means me changing to be less selfish, which hurts and I often want to fall asleep, which I can't do while I'm running, of course. But I have never regretted praying, not once. It's because I love the overall result, a bit like running. Only with prayer, it's not just a healthy body, it's a healthy soul. It, it offers that peace that goes past understanding that I mentioned in the last chapter. That peace that's available even when you're surrounded by turmoil. A peace that you can feel even when you are afraid or unwell or in danger or being accused. It's a sense of satisfaction and calm that you can have even when you're losing the rat race. Now, I'm very aware that praying and listening to God wherever you are, whether it's in the butter aisle, the traffic lights or even a religious building, can be considered slightly odd these days, especially in our largely secular Western society. And basing your career and life on what you think you heard from God could be diagnosed as a pretty serious psychological condition. Yet countless people throughout history and today have done and do just that. They have based their lives on what they felt God has said to them and because they have, the world has changed for the good. In the Bible, for example, we read how Moses helped free at least two million slaves after hearing God speak to him through a burning bush. Slightly more recently, we read how Mother Teresa gave her whole life to serve the poor in the slums in India after hearing God speak to her on a train. And Francis of Assisi, the man who our current Pope has named himself after, gave up a great fortune and made a vow of poverty to follow Jesus because he had a dream on a battlefield. Okay, maybe we would all take notice if a burning bush started speaking to us. Or maybe we would consider that slightly odd as well. But a word on a train? I know that some people have claimed that God spoke to them and then they went on to do evil. But I'm actually certain that those words weren't from God. God's voice always speaks out of love to build, encourage and comfort. And I've already said this in previous chapters. Yes, of course, love means discipline at times, but love aims to give life to people, to all people. It doesn't crush the life out of people. I also said in a previous chapter that I had a feeling, a hunch, that I was somehow called to the church, and I had had it from a, a very young age. Um, but this hunch had to go on the back burner for a while when I became a schoolteacher which I also mentioned earlier. Now, I became a teacher because it felt like the right thing to do at the time and because it was practical. I needed a stable income to pay our mortgage. But I do remember at the time when I went into teaching, wondering why I was going in what seemed to be the wrong direction for my life when I had felt called into the church. It was confusing. I now realise, of course, that those few years of teaching were invaluable for so many reasons, not least because it's too easy to make an idol out of your calling. In other words, it's too easy to hang your identity on what you do 
when your true identity, above all, is found in being made in God's image, not in what you do. And I will come back to that in later chapters as well. I also think now that everybody should experience being a school teacher at some point in their lives. It is a revelation uh, and it is an amazing thing to do. But a couple of years into teaching and after joining the Bear Church, our pastor Martin left to become a minister of a Baptist church in Stafford. So in the days before I started running, I was out walking on my way to school and praying. And one particular day I said, Lord God, our church is without a leader. Please send the right person to lead us. And God replied. He said, I want you to do it. Which I have since noticed is not an uncommon answer to prayer. We often find ourselves asking God to do something that we're meant to be doing. Maybe that's why we were praying it in the first place, because God has put it on our hearts. Maybe that is why the psalmist um, said, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You might want to talk about that psalm, but we're not going to talk more about it now. But I can still picture that moment. I was walking through Greenwich Park, approaching the main gates and about to exit onto Blackheath and I could see All Saints Church in the distance. And if I've ever heard an audible voice from God, then that was the time. Others might say I heard something else. I heard what I wanted to hear. In the Bible, in John 12, when a voice spoke from heaven to Jesus, some said that it was thunder and others said that they heard an angel speak, but Jesus took it to be God, his father speaking, and he lived the rest of his life as though it was. Now, I certainly hope it was God who spoke to me, because whilst those few words may not have taken much more than a second or two to say, the consequences for me and my family and the bare church will last forever. The truth is, I don't know how loud those words were. They were audible to me, but I don't know how loud they were. I just trusted that I heard something and that that something was from God. So I left teaching and I began to work for the Bear Church, which was just over 21 years ago, all because of those few simple words. I want you to do it. Listening to God and trying to follow his voice doesn't always mean that the steps on the path make immediate sense. A bit like with me going into teaching, it didn't feel like sense at the time. But over time, they do. At least I think they do. It's easy for me to say now that my path made perfect sense. It seems blatantly obvious, but at the time when God said it, it was actually quite confusing. I should say now that I did consult with other people that I trusted before taking the plunge especially my wife Emily, and you should do that too. You should talk to people that you trust before taking the plunge into whatever you feel God has said. I should also say that not everybody thought that I was a safe or sensible pair of hands. Not everybody thought I was a good idea. Of course they were right. I wasn't especially safe or sensible. I wasn't necessarily a good idea, though I was willing. Following God isn't always safe or sensible. I can't imagine many people thought it was safe or sensible for Peter to get out of the boat and walk on water, and I bet nobody thought that was a good idea. I don't suppose he asked them all, but if he had, I can't imagine they would just, oh yeah, go for it, Peter, that's a good idea. 
But Jesus simply said, come, just one word, come. And Peter went. He was willing. It can be quite disconcerting when you meet people who base their lives on something that people can't see, on a voice that they feel more than they actually hear. It's certainly a voice that science cannot prove. And it's fair enough to wonder whether they are in their right minds. And trust me, it's not only people looking in from the outside that ask this question. My dad, he's also a Christian leader minister, has been for over 40 years. Now he once told me that it was his ambition to not go mad. Now, looking back now at the word mad, I'd say it's not really an appropriate term. We, we wouldn't use it these days in that way, but at the time it was okay. Anyway, the point is that he had seen many church leaders, ministers, priests and vicars, have some kind of mental and emotional breakdown, especially towards the end of their careers. And he just hoped it wouldn't happen to him. You see, Christian leaders are not somehow immune to doubts, fears and anxiety, and nor should they be. It gets to them in the same way it gets to us all. Only in theory it could be worse for them because they've been teaching and leading on it. They've been teaching people to hang their identity and hope on Jesus and give their heart, soul and body and mind to him. They've been encouraging people to read scriptures like I no longer live but Christ lives in me and sing songs like the life that I now live no longer is my own. It's pretty full on and it would be a real problem if they were actually wrong, if I was wrong, if we were all wrong, because they'd be highly responsible, not completely responsible because people do have their own choices, but certainly highly responsible. Yes, Christians believe that God is good, loving, powerful and promise-keeping and that giving your life to Jesus is the best thing that you could possibly do. But things do go wrong. Life is hard. Bad things happen to good people. And it's impossible to actually live that life that our scriptures and our songs suggest. The reality is that a lot of the good stuff that Christians talk about and that the Christian leaders talk about and that the Bible teaches doesn't actually happen in this lifetime. The reality is that the Christian life is not all a bed of roses all the time. And... God doesn't always seem to be doing a lot about it. People love it when a preacher says that God is going to heal you and provide for you and to give you everything you need. But they don't love it so much when they quote other scriptures, such as consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, as it says in James. Or we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope which uh, is in Romans. Following God's voice doesn't mean that everything will be okay from now on. So it's not at all unreasonable to question whether Christians have denied their right minds, taken leave of their senses. And it's absolutely fair to ask if Christian leaders are really just deceived or deceiving tricksters. Indeed, they should be asking, I should be asking the same question of themselves and myself as part of our regular self-reflections. Now, chunks of this book from here on involve me reflecting on experiences and stories related to the problem of evil, 
the good God dilemma, the rationale of a worldview that involves following Jesus and uh, understanding what the Bible actually is and how we look at it and who God is and the Trinity and so on and so forth. But at the outset, I affirm that through all the good and bad experiences that I and others have had, I believe there is life, there is hope and there is a future in listening to God's voice and following Jesus. And that doing that isn't taking leave of your senses. It is actually being in your right mind. There is life, hope and future for all. Life, hope and a future that is unmatched eternally by any other worldview. But before I do end this chapter, I want to talk about Janice. Because you don't always need to hear God's voice to tell you what to do. Sometimes you just need him to smile at you, to encourage you in what you're doing. And now maybe that sounds odd, but Janice has two boys and they're grown up now. But when they were small, she had a dream where she was in a big crowd with her family and she spotted Jesus. And on seeing him, she felt she just had to get to him. She had to speak to Jesus. She had to ask him, am I doing okay? Not what do you want me to do and I'm going to wait until you tell me what you want me to do, but just am I doing okay? And Jesus replied, not with words, but with a smile. Janice described the feeling that she got from that smile, a feeling of being completely and utterly loved and accepted. And when you think about it, how could God answer that question in any other way? Of course Janice was doing okay. But of course Janice wasn't doing okay. Janice would have been doing badly in all sorts of things. And she would have been doing really well in others, just okay in others. It wasn't really about whether she was doing okay or not. In the same way, it isn't for the rest of us. None of us would stand a chance if God judged us on how well we were doing. His smile says it all. His smile says, I love the fact that you care about whether you are doing all right or not. I love the fact that you're asking. I notice you in a huge crowd. Seven billion people, I notice you in a crowd of seven billion plus people. I accept you and love you for who you are. And I'm glad to see you. I'm glad to see you. Now there's a, there's a song going around at the moment called What Would You Do? And it, it basically just repeats the words. What would you do if he walked into the room? And what would you say if he walked into the room? And it's all about Jesus walking into the room, I think. Uh, now I have several thoughts and reflections about uh, on about how I might react uh, and what I might say. And um, there's all kinds of stuff that goes around my head on that one. But I love this idea about God being glad to see us, Jesus being glad to see us and smiling, just smiling, that kind of smile that he smiled at Janice. Because in the end, that's enough, isn't it? That is enough. It makes sense. So next chapter, chapter six, 84% faith. 